0: Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall we go through the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi everyone. I hope you're all doing well. And if some of you had the chance to see Downton Abbey: A New Era, I hope you liked it. As I'm recording this, I haven't seen it already, but I am going to see it like in two days. So I'm really, really excited. a bit nervous too like i'm kind of scared what's going to happen but i'm so excited and for those of you who haven't got the chance to see it because it's not out yet well be patient it's almost there so today we're going to talk about episode five of season one of downtown abbey and i called it the one with the salty pudding i'm pretty sure if i tell you this title, you know exactly what scene I'm referring to. And we're here. Let's start, shall we? So in episode three, we had beginning of a new storyline for a character, who is Mrs. Patmore, because she didn't see the flower. And in this episode, we have, well, the continuation of that storyline. So we have Cora is coming downstairs to talk about a new pudding with Mrs. Patmore and well Mrs. Patmore doesn't really want to do this new pudding because she already prepared what was planned and she doesn't want to do something new and so they want to make this new pudding because they have a guest who is Anthony Straland we're going to talk about him later um, so they want to make this new pudding because he likes it but Mrs. Patmore doesn't want to why she tells everything has been prepared why should I make something else It's going to be really nice too. what I'm going to do you know and Daisy comes in and she thinks she's helping by telling Mrs. Patmore that she can read the recipe to her if the problem is about reading the recipe and well Mrs. Patmore gets really 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 angry by that because she's like well who mentioned the problem and she is embarrassed by the fact that Daisy said that in front of her ladyship, and so well uh, Cora just realized that Mrs. Patmore would not change her mind so she's like you know what let's keep the pudding that was planned and everything will be all right and then she has a chat with Mrs. Hughes because she's kind of concerned for Daisy um because Mrs. Patmore is very angry at her I really like this conversation because like well do look after her because uh, well Mrs. Patmore looks ready to eat her alive and then, again, just to, I already said it, but Mrs. Patmore has one of the best lines in this show. And so, you know, Daisy, she's, she's really embarrassed because she's, she just wanted to have, which was really nice of her. Yeah, she just wanted to have. And then, oh my God, Mrs. Patmore's answer is like, I think one of the funniest in the whole show. Oh, no! Judas was only trying to help, I suppose, when he brought the Roman soldiers to the garden. And a little fun story about this scene i've read where did i read that i think it was a post on tumblr well most of the things i read are on tumblr but it's um from an interview leslie nicole who plays mrs packmore said that um, when cora well came downstairs she kept telling her your majesty instead of your ladyship (laughs) and i thought it's really funny and she was like well you know i felt like i was talking to the queen (laughs) and well Cora is my queen so you know I can totally get that and I think it's even funnier we know that in this episode uh, O'Brien once called Cora her majesty I don't know if you ever noticed that but it's uh, later on with uh, when we're going to talk about Sybil but she says that she says I got her majesty after me all afternoon or something like that so I thought it was really funny so we had this issue with the pudding and then when they are preparing dinner Mrs. Patmore let the chicken fall to the ground. And then when the chicken is on the floor, the cat arrives and just wants where to eat it. Remember when I talked about cats in Downton Abbey and we had the cat at the dowel house? Well, this is the other cat, the cat in the kitchen. And so, where well, they make the cat go away and they take the chicken and put it back on the plate because well, she had nothing else to make them eat. And then she says, What the eye can't see, the heart won't grieve over. In French, um, we have an expression, uh, we say, "ni vu, ni connu, which uh, is like out of sight, out of mind. And funny fact, in the script book, Joanne Fellows made a comment about this scene that this scene was inspired by his own life. I think it's the same story, like the chicken fell and the cat started eating it and he had nothing else to give uh, his guests, so he just take it. Back, like I think it chopped it in uh, different pieces so you won't see that a calf already eaten a bit. Well, yeah, so I think that was funny. So we have the dinner upstairs, and when they eat, you have the pudding the pudding that she had planned because I mean, she knew the recipe, so she didn't want to change it. It was raspberry meringue, if I uh, remember correctly. So, yeah, and it looks really nice, and she added sugar on it just before it was going to be served. Well, apparently it wasn't sugar because when Straland starts to eat it, well, he just choked because he had his mouth full of salt. So Mrs. Patmore put salt instead of sugar on the pudding. That must have been nice. And I mean, this thing is really, really funny, the whole uh, salty pudding situation because Stran reaction is a bit too much even Robert's like what is happening and when Mary Matthew was all our think it means I would have been them and what I think is really sweet is uh, Robert just saying well I I would want to be uh, Mrs. Padmore kitchen maid like poor her <laughs> and Sybil again we already said it but she's definitely the best and she said well we must send a rescue party for her that's sweet so well obviously Miss Papmo is really she's isn't feeling well because she knew like she knows that pudding so what uh, she doesn't know how something could have gone wrong with it and so again she's blaming Daisy poor Daisy because she <laughs> has done nothing wrong and Anna tries to comfort her and in the end, just Carson to have a chat with her and I love this scene um because Carson we would say that he's really strict but he has a really like he has a warmth in him too and he's kind deep down he has a heart you know and i think it's just really sweet because i think he knows what is happening but yeah i think he's really really nice with her and so she tells him that she is going blind and so well she even says uh what a joke like a blind cook and of course you feels sorry for her because well, if she's going blind, she can't do her work, and well, I mean, I don't know how she could find a job after that if she's blind. Like, what can she do? I don't know. So, obviously, it feel bad for her. Well, in the end, she's blaming Daisy just because she knows it's her own fault, but it's easier to blame it on someone else's than to, because if she just says, oh, I'm going blind, well, I don't have a job, so, yeah. But I like when Carson said that I think you owe Daisy an apology because she definitely owe Daisy an apology. So yeah, she's going blind but this is not the end of her storyline. You just have to wait and see. Bananas. To stay with our downstairs people, let's talk about Bates and Thomas and O'Brien. Last episode, Carson noticed that some bottle of wines were missing And, well, in this episode, we see Thomas in Carson's office with a bottle in his hand. So obviously, we know he stole them. And Bates sees him, well, he sees him in Carson's office. I don't really know, and I'm not sure if he sees him with the bottle, but with Thomas, something is always fishy. And we all know, like, Bates, Thomas, they don't like each other, and they always, like, saying some snarky comments at one another. And there's a moment in the servants' hall, uh, they talk about if there is ghosts, like Thomas said. I always felt like this place was haunted. By the spirits of maids and footmen who died in slavery. But not in Thomas's case from overwork. And I liked it because every time he says something, Bates says something like that, the others find it funny. But to look on Thomas's face, I mean, if looks can kill you, he would definitely, Bates would be dead by now. So he still wants to get rid of Bates you know and he decided that he wants to make him appear as a thief because the easiest way to get rid of a servant is to accuse him of stealing because obviously if you live in a big house like that and you're supposed to take care of the things that belongs not to you but to the people that live there if you're a thief well that's not really good right? So at the moment there's a snuff box that is missing. It belongs to Robert and is missing. And when they say that, like, oh a snuff box is missing, like if you found it, just you no, know, tell us. Well, O'Brien and Thomas they insist on the fact of how sorry they are for Mr Bates and how inconvenient it is for him. Like, oh but no, because he's his lordship valet, so he he's the one that goes into his room, so he's the one that have more access to the snuff boxes and they really insist on that so you realize already that something is not right because like they really insist on it they're like oh Mr. Bates I'm so sorry for you how inconvenient you know like O'Brien really she tries to act concerned like oh Mr. Bates what an unpleasant thing to have happened I really like when Bates like thank you for your concerns like you'd care and so what this whole thing of a snuffbox goes for the whole episode. William is like, well, I hope that we, f- we find it. And Thomas, well, I wouldn't want to be Mr. Bates. And obviously Anna, because she's on Mr. Bates' side, and because she's the best, like, well, I'm sure that he thinks the same about you. Like, he doesn't want to be you either. And when they say that, O'Brien, she has a smirk on her face. And Anna is like, why are you smiling? What is wrong with you? So she realized again that there's something fishy about this whole snuffbox situation. So she's going to tell Bates that she thinks that Thomas has put him in his room so that he would be accused of stealing. Well, she was right. And they have a little plan together. Well, it's Anna's plan. She says, well, once you found it, give it to me and I put it in O'Brien's room or you can put it in Thomas' room. You just, you choose. And so when they've done that, they proposed to uh, Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes that they should have a search, you know, like just search all the rooms now and you know, like because no one will have the time to uh, hide it somewhere else, well, you know, and so obviously the fact that Mr. Bates and Anna just had this idea, Thomas and O'Brien realized that, well, they've been tricked and so they do the search and oh my god, this moment When Mrs. Hughes enters O'Brien's room and you see the room, it's like, it's a complete mess. And Mrs. Hughes, well, I love her so much, like, whoa, my, my, you have been busy. And then you realize that Mr. Bates didn't hide it in in Thomas' room or in O'Brien's room. Like, he didn't want to punish them. And Anna is like, well, he should have because they don't care about you, you should have done it. It's like, well, no, I don't want, but they know that I know that I did it. So this is, in the end, it's still in his advantage because he knows. And so with this uh, storyline of Bates and Thomas and O'Brien, like we said, Anna is always an ally. And well, because obviously Anna, she has feelings for him. Like, we're not blind. We, We have seen that since episode one and we're in episode five, so, you know. We know that there is something. And it goes further now, the relationship. Uh, because when Anna is doing a, Edith's room, Bates comes in and helps her. And they talk about Edith because Bates says that he feels sorry for Edith. And they talk about Patrick because well, Edith was in love with him. But he was supposed to marry Lady Mary. And well, that's sad for her. We already said that. And so Bates like, well, yeah, it's sad when I think about it. And Anna says... It's always sad you love someone who doesn't love you back, no matter who you are. And then Bates like, well, yeah, it's sad that he died. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's sad. And so she realized that she has been caught because she first thing she thought was, well, I love you and you don't love me, so obviously it's sad and that's not what he meant. And obviously, well, he understood. And then he tells her... Perhaps... Mr. Patrick did love her back. He just couldn't say. Why ever not? Sometimes we're not at liberty to speak. Sometimes it wouldn't be right. And what I love between the two of them is that they never, well, in the beginning, do not speak openly. Um, there's a lot that implied. Like we said now, they use the story of Edith and Patrick to just... Anna used it to say, well, I love you and you don't love me, so it's sad. And he used... <laughs> It to say, well, maybe I do love you, but I can't say it because it wouldn't be right. And I like it. I really like this. Uh, and it's not a game, but yeah, I like that. And then they walk together to go to the flower show and I talk about O'Brien Thomas and talk about Mrs. Patmore. And so she's going to see the doctor. He's going to tell her if, if they can do something for her or not. And basically, it's like, well, I hope if there's nothing they could do, they would tear her because... Nothing is harder to live with than false hope. And at that moment, Anna is like, okay, stop with what you're saying. Stop with me trying to guess things from what you're saying, you know, like, instead of just taking detour to say something, just say it. And then, oh my God, this moment, <sighs> Anna just says... Because I love you, Mr. Bates. I know it's not ladylike to say it, but I'm not a lady and I don't pretend to be you are a lady to me and I never knew a final one. I just have to say this answer I mean this answer this is so sweet to be honest I don't really know if I love Bates or not but I really like the relationship like Anna and Bates and I love Anna so I like Anna and Bates but this really this scene I love it and so well he says that he's not free like it's more complicated and they can't be together and so you feel really bad because oh she just opened her heart and this is sweet and sad at the same time but I mean their story it's very complicated I mean yeah complicated I mean this isn't an an understatement complicated I don't think there is even a word that can describe (laughs) their relationship bananas Let's talk about Sybil and Gwen. So if you remember correctly, she uh, she wants to help her to be a secretary. So she found her uh, job advertisement, but then Gwen uh, had a letter to say that they already found someone. And now Sybil receives a letter. And just once like, this shot, when um, she has the letter in her hand and her hands are behind her back, I just love it. That That shot, I think is really beautiful. And she applied for a job for Gwen. And they have an interview, like the next day. So well, they plan of doing it? And remember when they say, when Gwen asked Sybil, how am I going to be out for a whole day for an interview? And Sybil said, well, you're going to be ill. Well, that is the plan. Gwen's going to be ill so she can just go to her interview. It's like, it's in the morning. So it's supposed to take, what, one hour or two. It's supposed to be quite short. And so to go there, Sybil um, then have a chat with her father saying that she's going to take the governor's car. And this is a really sweet moment because he's like, wait, just take Branson, take the car. I was like, no, I'm I'm all fine. I'm going to take the governor's car, obviously, because if she takes the car, they're going to have question why Gwen is here. It's going to be messy, so she doesn't want to take the car. And I just want to say a tiny thing. Why is this jacket that Robert's wearing? we have never seen this jacket before and I believe that we do not see it ever after why is this jacket it's quite nice why are we only seeing that in that episode I don't know he has a kiss from Sibyl and this just sweet little scene I love it every time there's something sweet like that with Sibyl I need to hold on to the memories bananas so we said that Gwen's going to be ill well there is a scene when with Anna they're making the beds and she just sits on Lady Sibyl's bed because she is ill well she pretends to be ill and so at that moment obviously when this the only moment she's like sitting on Lady Sybil's bed Carson comes in because he, he must have a radar when something is not proper it's like oh something is not proper I'm coming in And so obviously, well, Anna's like, well, no, she's ill. She needs to lie down. So, and Carson's like, well, okay, go. The thing that I thought was quite interesting, everyone has a biscuit jar in their room, but apparently no one ever eats them. Why? They have biscuits in their room and they do not eat them. And they're thrown away every evening because every day they change the biscuits. The first time I heard that was, they literally, they, they throw away biscuits. I mean give it to me, I will eat them. It's just a tiny detail, but it got my intention, so I had to talk about it. So Sibyl and Gwen are going to the interview together. Sibul already said that and we already seen that outfit she has, but she gave her a dress for the interview. So again, Cibul, you are the best. And you know, Sybil is like, well, I are, you, are you sure it's gonna be okay because if someone comes into your room like What are they going to say? It's like, oh, it's Anna. It's all right. Uh, She would never betray me. She's like a sister. And we know that Anna would never betray her because she saw Carson stealing food and she never said anything. So obviously, but just like when Sib was like, well, she's not like my sisters. (laughs) Well, yeah, definitely. And so when they're arriving at uh, where Gwen has the interview, well, you realize that Gwen is waiting much longer than she thought she would and that they would probably be late and so what should have been a little getaway of two hours where it was much longer and then they want to go back to the house their horse cast a shoe so again problem and so they are walking with the horse and then in the moment the horse just stopped because it decided i didn't want to move anymore and what trying to get him to move they both fell in the mud and the horse left them so they had to walk to the house i don't know how many hours happened in the in this whole storyline but a lot because everyone is worried for lady sybil because obviously they do not know that gwen has disappeared william says well mr carson said that he would call the police if she's not back soon and well obviously the one is worried the most is cora And she's like, I mean, imagine like something happened. If she's lying in a ditch somewhere or she's dead. I mean, I like this because it's very um, mother things to say and to think. I like when she says, The truth is they're all getting too old for a mother's control. They're growing up. They've grown up. Yeah, because Sybil, she's like 18 now. So yeah, she, well, they're grown up. And I love this whole conversation, but we'll talk about that later. So Sybil's back. Yay. And Gwen too and obviously what well, Anna she realized that she left because she had to come up at the moment but obviously she covered for her because it's Anna and so I like it because she's really supportive and she supports uh, Gwen and her wants to leave service so I like it and she just hopes that she got the job you know because but that was a hell of a ride and well in the end Gwen to get the job and so she's like, you know, I mean, I'm, we're just going to stop. This is this is useless. And Sibyl was like, well, no, I mean, I am a long way from being beaten, you know. Gwen's like, well, only a fool will continue. She's like, well, I am a fool because I will not stop fighting for you. Because obviously they come from a different words And things are easier if you're from the aristocracy than if you part of the servants but I like that she uses her privilege to help her and that's why we already said it but we're gonna say it again Sybil is the best we will never say it enough so earlier we talked about Bates and Anna going to a flower show well let's talk about this flower show a flower show that is a new excuse for Violet versus Isabel. So there's a flower show at Downton, and at that flower show, there is a cup called the Grantham Cup, which is for the best bloom in the village. And well, apparently, the Dowager always wins best bloom in the village. So, Isabel finds it quite odd that she always wins, and she doesn't find it fair because Mosley's father has beautiful roses and she's like why did she always win when he should win well she thinks that and so this is the preparation of the flower show and there was a scene that was cut that i read in the script book where so isabel sees the whole installation of the flower show and so she's asking cora how she's getting on because she's the one that um because cora is taking care of preparing the whole show Violet is here and she's saying that she enjoys just you know now sitting back and watching Cora doing all the work you know because now that she's the dowager and all the countess she can just you know sit back and enjoy everyone doing the work at her place and she's leaving and Cora says she can't stand not being president anymore every year she haunts the tent like the ghost of Christmas yet to come and then while Isabel talks to her about this whole Grantham cup it And how unfair it is. Isabel, when she has an idea in her her head, she's not letting it go. And especially if it means a fight with cousin Violet. And then Cora just tells her, to be honest, I simply cannot face another fight. Isabel answers, I don't blame you. So again, so that was cut. But I just like how Cora just says, she's always on my back. Almost like all the time, like she had been. I mean, because now she's been in the contest for quite some years, and so I just can't imagine what it felt like when she had to learn from Violet everything. If she's still on her back now, and I'm just like, you know, like I just don't want another fight. Like I had enough for my whole life right now. But Isabel's is like, yeah, I can't blame you, but I, I like a fight, especially with cousin Violet. So Isabel is going at the Tower House. To crawl with Violet. And I like it because Violet's like, Oh, I thought it was about the hospital. But now it's a flower show. So yeah, when I it's a flower show, there's always something that they can disagree on. Again they talk about it and Isabel said how unfair it is. And she's like, Well, I've been fortunate in Dino my gardener is really good, so I've won, you know, what's what's wrong with that? And Isabel is like, Well, the thing that is wrong is that you don't usually win. You always win. And she said, well, I believe the community is like, they have to give the cup as a kind of a tradition. And because, well, let's just be honest, I think they're all afraid of Violet to so just say, let's just give it to her and we're not going to have any problem. <laughs> but, you know, Isabel's like, well, there is a new fight. You know, you have again, Isabel against Violet and now it's on the Grand Cup. And then another scene well the flower show is still in preparation, almost ready I love Cora's outfit Isabel is trying to, um, does it, they already installed some roses and she tries to uh, make everyone be on her side like oh look at Mrs. Moses' flowers, look how beautiful they are, they're so pretty and so while well, Violet is not stupid, it's like oh well you know cousin Isabel thinks that I only have the cup because they just want to give it to me And Matthew tries to calm things down, it's like, oh, I'm sure that when we see Cousin Violet's flowers, they're going to be really beautiful, you know. And Isabel's like, yeah, maybe they'd be beautiful, but that doesn't mean they're the best. You are quite wonderful the way you see room for improvement wherever you look. I never knew such reforming zeal. I take that as a compliment. I must have said it wrong. (laughs) This whole exchange, the whole, um, I take that as a compliment uh, from Isabel, it makes me think about something that Violet will say in the future. Bananas. I love this exchange because you have Violet versus Isabel, but you can see Mary, Matthew, and Cora quite enjoying it, especially, I mean, Cora in in this scene, she's in the background, but she's smiling and her look, she's like, oh, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying, you know, like seeing someone else. Having a fight with Violet, but not me. You know, I'm pleased to see that. And like we said in um, the second episode, finally someone who can challenge Violet, and obviously, people are pleased. And then there's the flower show, like the day of the flower show. And I love the outfits of everybody. I think it's uh, outfits more for like summer, spring. But I like it, especially Corinne Roberts. is so cute. And I mean, with this outfit, she has so like Titanic vibes. Like Rose, like Kate Winslet, Titan vibes. I love it. And Cora with large hearts, I just love it. I think, I mean, she looks so beautiful. Well, she was beautiful all the time. But I mean, I love her with large hearts. So yeah, it's the flower show. And Robert's teasing his mother because, well, he's like, well, in a fair word, Mosley would win. But the committee would never dare to not give it to Violet. And so she's like, well, isn't it possible that I should win the thing on merit? I think the appropriate answer to that, Mama, is yes, dear. I really like this scene. I always said that I like the relationship between Violet and Robert because she always acts like his mother. And sometimes he always feels like he's still a little boy when he's with her. And I kind of like <laughs> this exchange. I think it's really funny. And then comes the moment where Violet is supposed to give the Grantham Cup. And you see that it is written on the paper that she had won it. But she decided to give it to Mr. Mosley. And when she says that, everyone is shocked. Like, you have Mr. Mosley. He's like, what? Me? Isabel is so happy. But Cora and Robert's face are like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what happened? And, well, obviously, actually, I think no one is duped. And they know she let him have it. Even Mr. Mosley came and said, well, thank you for letting me have it. She's like, well, it's not me. And she, well, she's pretending to, that it's the committee who chose him and not her. But they all know it, you know, even Robert tells something about it. And Corrine invites "Like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, just let's not talk about that. All is well, everything's fine. That's it. And I like it because every time she managed to, not to win, like the fight with Isabel, but to make everything like she decided it. Because at that moment, she's decided to give it. So in a way, Isabel has won because the cup goes to a But she took the decision to make that happen. I don't know if that makes sense, but she always wants to be in control of the situation. And what I like about Violet um, is that when you just read her, she doesn't seem to she doesn't appear really nice or even funny but uh, that's the way Maggie portrays her it just I think she gives a lot of warmth to the character because if you just see it from outside she isn't like the warmest person ever but when you see like even in the following episode she's so complex and has so many layers I love it I mean the Dowager Countess is I think it's the favorite character of everybody like this is top-notch like, you have your own favorite character but like she is if you love Downton, you have to love the dowager you know what i mean like he, it's it's package talking about flower show i thought that now i would give you the french word of the day and well i thought it would be flower because well it's very easy especially if you had seen or read harry potter but um, flower in french is fleur so like fleur de la cour in Harry Potter and yeah, it's written F-L-E-U-R and it's feminine. So it's une fleur. So yeah, very easy, but I thought it would make sense. So flower in French is fleur. Now let's talk about Mary, Matthew and Edith. It's three storylines I can just mix up together so it would be easier to just talk about them all together so we saw that Edith tried to get closer to Matthew because Mary told her I don't want to marry him so you can have it if you want and so she tried yeah I, I told you that I thought yeah good for her that she tried but now we also realized that Mary and Matthew got a bit closer and that Matthew is actually not interested in Edith and they even talked about it. Matthew and Isabel uh, talked about Edith and because she's like well you know I want to go visit some local ch- churches myself and Isabel is not stupid I think she understood or she kind of sensed that this whole church visit thing, uh, Edith organized it so she maybe could have get closer to Matthew and Matthew is like, well She's barking up the wrong tree. Poor Edith. I hope there's a right tree for her somewhere. I like it because I'm not saying that Matthew is insensible, but he's a bit clumsy, we already said that. And I think he he sensed that maybe Edith is interested in her, but he doesn't realise that putting her off might hurt her. I don't know how to explain that, but like Isabel is like really like I'm sorry for her because she done nothing wrong. She just tried and well, you know, she's like, I hope there's a riot tree for her somewhere. I mean, yeah, poor Edith. She's literally, I think she's the first one who said that. Poor Edith. And we said that already. And then there's a sweet scene between Mary and Matthew where she is going to send a telegram to Rosamond, her aunt. And I like when she's saying, It's easy to be generous when you have nothing to lose. Because she still is a bit bitter by the whole situation, but the fact that she is not an heiress. And while, of course, Rosamond can be nice to Matthew, because whatever happens, she would never have inherited the estate. So she, again, like Mary said, she has nothing to lose. And then they talk about Edith. Well, watch out, I think she has big plans for you. And she's in for an equally big disappointment. So by saying that, we understand that he's not interested in Edith. But the way he looks at Mary, we, we already know since episode three that he has feelings for Mary. But she realized that she isn't insensible. Like she starts to have feelings for him. And when they're at the flower show, uh, when he's still in preparation, well they talk about the fight between Violet and Isabel, but they also talk about the dinner that is given for Anthony Strallon that Matthew has been invited to. Uh, well, and Mary's like, she already imagining that it's going to be a really boring uh, party. This is going to be so not nice. And then Matthew says... Maybe I'll shine by comparison. Maybe you will. She said some horrible things to him when he arrived at Downton. So the fact that she's saying that, this is a lot. Like, this is improvement. And during dinner, they got closer. Uh, because Mary is really bored with Anthony Stralon. And they laughed together. Um, after the whole reaction of Australian and the salty pudding and there's a moment so Matthew and Mary are talking and they're kind of laughing like really at ease with each other now and there's just a moment there's a shot of Robert smiling and I don't know if it's like he smiles because he saw that but in my head the way he was edited for me Robert smiles because he saw that Mary and Matthew are like not at war with each other and we already said that in the previous episode but he ships it okay he's like well I do hope Mary and Matthew are getting together like this could be really nice because we said it already now he really loves Matthew for him it would be perfect that Mary can marry Matthew because he really likes Matthew and he's, he's her heir and he loves his daughter so I think everything would be quite perfect for him and then after dinner uh, Robert is talking with Matthew and you know he says well do you think with Mary you can like start over like maybe you know something nice can come out of it again he's shipping them and Matthew's like well why not we we don't know what's going to happen and then uh Mary ignores Matthew um when he comes to the drawing room and why we're going to talk about that when we talk about Edith but then he's hurt because just before they we were talking like they were friends everything was going fine and then she's literally ignoring him like he doesn't even exist and he's hurt and you can understand him I mean it's two different moods in like what 10 minutes so then he leaves and Robert witnessed the whole thing and well, Mary's feeling really bad when she realized that he left because she realized that he left because of her. And like we said, Robert witnessed the whole thing and he he's being smart again. Like, I just remember, you know, a line that was written in Squibble when they say that he doesn't really know his children. But at that moment, he understood something like in her character. And um, is it shocking that I thought he was really smart? Yeah, really. In season one, he feels really smart. And he, he goes to see Cora to tell her that Mary can be such a child. She thinks if you put a toy down, it'll still be sitting there when you want to play with it again. Well, he understood. Like, he saw the situation, what was happening. He doesn't understand the whole thing because I do believe that he isn't really aware of the war between Edith and Mary. I think he can sense that they don't like each other, but I don't think he realized the, the level of... I can even say hatred there is between uh, the two of them and i just like this moment because there is tiny little moment really cutie moment with cora and well every time they're being cute together i love it so yeah and when matthew comes home uh, after dinner um and he's speaking to his mother because she asked him well how was it and he's like well you know it was nice and I i thought you know, I remember he really thought maybe with Mary something could happen. We realize that he, yeah, he may have feelings for her. And you see that he's really hurt at that moment. And at the flower show, Mary tries to apologize, but she doesn't really say that she's sorry. You know, it's like, well, you know, no, never mind. Um, you know, I, I was with you all night, so it's okay if you just left me, <laughs> ignored me. It's okay. obviously Mary feels really bad but again she didn't really think through this whole thing because that is something she did because of Edith and we're going to talk about like the little war after because now we're going to talk about Mary Mary, her secrets, her scandal and a rumor. When the episode actually begins, uh, Daisy is making the fire in Lady Mary's room and she's acting weird and she says that she hates this room because it's Lady Mary's room and she saw Lady Mary carrying the corpse of Mr. Pamook. but I find quite odd a bit I mean at the beginning I didn't really understand because she saw Mary carrying Mr. Pamook but carrying him back to his room she didn't see the body being dragged from Lady Mary's room so maybe she, she hates Lady Mary's room because she saw Lady Mary but the whole, like, I thought about that like she, like she can't be sure that he died in Lady Mary's room so yeah I just thought about that and um, so at breakfast you have Mary sitting opposite to Edith so the only time they were sitting next to each other was in the first episode and Robert had a letter from his sister Rosamond and if I'm not wrong this is the first time we talk about Lady Rosamond and we know that this letter uh, where it's about Mary and rumors and so um well Sybil because she's the best like oh well poor Aunt Rosamond like all alone in that big house I feel sorry for her and Mary I don't all alone with plenty of money in a house in Eaton Square I can't imagine anything better really Mary I wish you wouldn't talk like that There will come a day when someone thinks you mean what you say. It can't come soon enough for me. I like this whole scene because the reaction from Robert, because at that moment we do not know what was in the letter, but the reaction from Robert at that moment. You know, I wish you wouldn't talk like that because someone would think you meant what you say. And we know that Robert reacted like that because of what was in the letter. And so he talks about that letter with Cora and he said well apparently uh, Evelyn Napier has given up any thoughts of Mary and Cora she's not surprised because she talked with Evelyn and she said well I already knew that but Robert is like yeah but apparently he might reflect badly on Mary like as if Mary had somehow been found wanting in her character well Cora thinks it a bit be bad because she knows the whole truth about Mary's situation but she also know, knows Evelyn Napier. I do not believe he would have said that. Like He's a nice man. And we've seen that. He's a nice man. We love Evelyn Napier. And so, obviously, if there is rumor like that, she's worried. And she even tells him she has to marry someone. And, I mean, she has to marry soon. Because if this is what have been saying in London, this is trouble. And Cora, when well, she can't help but think about what well, the whole rumors? is, it is true. And so she's like, well, she needs to get married. And Robert's big like, yeah, but I mean, come on. And, you know, like, it's, it's two different sides. Like, Robert, he's like, well, if she would listen to me, she would, she would get married to Matthew, but she doesn't want it. So Cora just, she has an idea. She said, like, what about Anthony Strallon? And Robert's definitely like, well, that is a horrible idea. Anthony Strallon is at least my age and as dull as paint. I doubt she'd want to sit next to him at dinner, let alone marry him. And I think a part of him is like, how can you think that this man would interest her, you know? But she can't tell him the truth about why she pushes a man like that at her daughter because, well, the rumor is true. So we have a problem. And downstairs, they talk about Daisy and what happened to her um, because she felt really weird in Lady Mary's room. And well O'Brien listens very carefully. Because like she says, there are only three people that know about that night. Mary, Thomas, and O'Brien. Well she doesn't know that Cora is involved and Anna too. But now she realized that maybe Daisy knows something. And then we realize that the rumor about Mary actually they come from Thomas because he said some stuff to a friend of him that is a valet to apparently someone that like O'Brien said is an open mouth. Thomas and O'Brien are still plotting because that's all they can do and O'Brien she tries to manipulate Daisy because she wants to know what she knows but Daisy she is a bit frightened she doesn't want to say something but she's trying to find a way to know if Daisy knows what they know. And then, well, this whole letter rumor situation obviously, Cora has to speak to Mary. And they talk about Stratton. Cora goes to Mary's room to talk with her before, dinner know, I really love her dress. I love this color. It looks so good on her. I think I already said that, that I love her outfits. Well, already said that I'm in love with Cora. So, no surprise there. But they talk about Stratton, and Mary's like, oh, really? This old chap. How many times am I to be ordered to marry the man sitting next to me at dinner? As many times as it takes. I turned down Matthew Crawley. Is it likely I'd marry Strallen when I wouldn't marry him? I'm glad you've come to think more highly of cousin Matthew. Well, that's not the point. I just like this because Cora is really happy to say, oh, okay, so now you don't dislike Matthew or you like him. And Mary, there's a little pause before she's like, oh, never mind that. And, um, you know, then Cora being serious again when you said you didn't want to marry Matthew you were the daughter of an earl and you had you know your reputation everything was fine now like she says you are damaged goods and Mary's like oh really mama and then at that moment cries like well I don't know how but there is a rumor in London that you are not virtuous and Mary's face at that moment's like what Trouble, trouble, trouble. oh yeah trouble and Mary at that moment you see that a tiny moment like her mask just fell down and then Mary puts her mask on again and she really acts like this a really reckless person again and oh my god when you say come on, my lover I'm like please girl you like the guy you knew him for like 10 seconds you were absolutely terrified and now you try she's trying to act like she was in control of the situation but she's not she's definitely lost control of the situation the moment he came into her room yeah she's completely lost and i don't know why she doesn't want to be a bit fragile or lost in front of her mother but i think it's yeah she doesn't want to be weak and so she's like no i'm gonna be fine like four years of boredom and duty is not possible for for me so i'm a lost cause just stop worrying about me I'll be fine but I like it when she says I know you love me and you want to help but just let me be and I think it's really sweet because I really believe that she meant it and went Cora cool, obviously and so, well I do love you and I do want to help but I think she's like she's lost when it's, it comes to Mary like I don't think either of her parents know how she like how to talk to her or how to help her because she is like she's really the type of person that doesn't want any help so when she said that she's lost cause and uh, her mother should focus on something else she said well let's focus on edith that's what we are going to do too we are going to talk about edith and why it's more like edith versus mary so we already talked about what happened at breakfast but when mary is you know telling that she would adore to be alone with plenty of money in a big house the way that edith looks at her like we always said but if looks could kill mary would be dead <laughs> well i believe that edith of course she doesn't like mary because she almost had every man she wanted you know she wanted patrick but he was supposed to marry mary then she kind of like matthew but he technically was supposed to marry Mary too. So yeah, a lot of hatred and we don't know what happened, you know, when they were younger, but that doesn't look pretty. Um, And so we talked about uh, Cora and O'Brien when Cora was uh, worried about Sybil. When Cora said, you know, that they're, they've they grown up and they're old for mothers control. She says, No one ever warns you about bringing up daughters. You think it's gonna be like little women. Instead, they're at each other's throats from dawn till dusk. And there's a line that was cut just after that. O'Brien's uh, O'Brien's like, well, surely not Lady Sybil. Because everybody knows that Sybil is the sweetest. And Cora tells her, Sybil is the family peacemaker. But Mary and Edith have been like two rats in a barrel since they were little girls. And, well, at that moment, we see that. The look on O'Brien's face when Cora just says, you know, that there are at each other's throats from dawn to dusk, the look on her face, like you realize she has an idea. But when you see the look she has on her face, you realize it's not a pleasant one. And you even have the music, like music in the background, it just tells you, ooh, trouble is coming. We know that O'Brien is trying to get Daisy to talk about what she saw, but she realized that she doesn't want to say anything. So she thinks maybe, she should talk to someone from the upstairs. Why? Because so she wants to know what Daisy knows. And so she talks about Daisy and Pamuk to Edith and she knows exactly what to say and how to say it. There's you know, something, I don't know, involving Lady Mary and Edith tries not to act too delighted by the fact there might be a story scandalous one about her sister and so she tells Brian, well bring her to my room and I can talk with her and obviously Daisy she's kind of afraid she doesn't want to speak and it is she's she's smart and she knows that she doesn't that Daisy might be kind of afraid of O'Brien so she asks her to leave and then well she's being a bit manipulative uh, with Daisy but she's gentle like, she invites her to sit, she puts her arm around her shoulder, she's like, I mean, it's, it's too much a burden for you, you need to speak to me, it's not, your secret you shouldn't be worried like that, and, well. And after that, we know that Edith knows Mary's secret, well, at least a part of it, because she can't know everything, because Daisy has only seen Mary put back a pemmican in his room, but she can guess the whole situation. And so, yeah, like we said, when Mary is uh, with her mother and she tells her, you know, she should concentrate on Edith. Why not concentrate on Edith? She needs all the help she can get. Again, Mary being really nasty. And we said that when Mary is afraid of her feelings, she attacks. And this is exactly the same thing. Like She's really afraid because the whole Pamuk situation got out of hand. So instead of feeling sorry for her or even saying to her mother again, I'm sorry, or just saying, I am afraid, I don't know what to do, I'm lost. She's like, well, you know, she should concentrate on my sister because, well, she she's the one who needs help. I don't need it. And at that moment we see Edith with reflections on the glass on the of a painting on the wall. So we realize that she listened to that. She heard that. And Cara, she's not really really she's not being really nice to Edith. We realize that. Both parents, they kind of have, I'm not going to say ignored their middle child, but she always comes after the others. You must be unkind to Edith. She has fewer advantages than you. This is not something really nice to say, I have to say. And I love Cora, but I believe that, yeah, she was wrong on the way she has been treating Edith. And I don't know what happened before, like, we don't know the whole story. But just saying that is not really nice. And obviously, Mary, she has to, you know, go back back on it again and she says fewer she has none at all and obviously Edith has listened to that she kind of realized that her mother doesn't really have her back too which could be quite sad and so after that we have dinner and well Edith can't then marry and is during that dinner when we have our salty pudding Mary is really bored with Stralen because she's supposed to talk with him because Cora has put her next to him because she wants that maybe something could happen. But Edith got Anthony Stratton's attention and I think she wants to have something that Mary can't have. You know even after the whole sortie pudding situation even Cora said something nice and oh it was really nice of you Edith you saved the day and Mary's like oh you're kidding me like it's this old stupid man you think I can't have him and just before that they talk about Matthew and Mary's like oh well I'm sorry, cousin Matthew proved a disappointment to you. And Edith is like, well, who says he has? Matthew, he told me. This is really mean the way she's saying it. And it's at that moment that Cora tells Edith that she saved the day. And so Edith feels proud bit of her that she managed to like, succeed at something that Mary didn't. And obviously Mary's like, oh, you think I can't have him? And it is what well, she's saying, why well, you can't win every prize. So Mary's like, oh, it's a challenge. Well, okay. And it's at that moment that she ignores Matthew to go to Stralen. And it's because she just wants to win because it's against a challenge and she wants to win. And you can realize like, it's exactly what Robert says. She is a child. Mary and Edith, when it's about the two of them, they are immature. Really, when you see what Sybil is doing, to have a maid. And even after. What we see in the following episode. Just realize what Sybil is younger than Mary and Edith. But she's definitely I already said that. But she's more mature. And the problem with Mary. Is that she so wants to win against Edith. That she doesn't let go. You know like this little fight. There were so many moments. That Mary could have been the bigger one. And just say okay you know what. I'm not going to go into your games. I'm done. Well she didn't. And she loves Matthew over there. And at the flower show, so Matthew, you know, she, he, well, he let her go. And so Edith, well, she enjoys it because uh, she said, well, it's a bit like with the Duke when she said to, to her, he slipped the hook. I suppose you didn't want him when he wanted you. And now it's the other way around. You have to admit, it's quite funny. It's, it's a bit true, you know what she says. But again, Mary has to be nasty. And this is the sort of thing that you say, she could just have shut up at that moment, but she's still going for it. And there is a moment, if you want to be the bigger person, you have to stop going for it. Well, to be honest, she never, ever stops. Like, she always has to go for it when it's Edith. She wants to be the one who has the last words. It's always like that. Bananas. Then Edith says, She who laughs last, laughs longest. And that is the point of no return. I call it that way because at the end of the episode, we see that Edith is writing a letter to the Turkish ambassador. And I said that it was the point of no return, because I believe in this episode that you had a lot of moments from the moment that Edith knew Mary's secret or part of it, that I do not believe that her first plan was to tell the Turkish ambassador. I think she wanted to use it against Mary but maybe she would have said it to her parents or to uh, Violet or maybe she would have made a comment like in the open but I do not believe that her first plan was to uh, send a message to the Turkish ambassador but she did it because Mary she kept asking for it. I'm not saying that what Edith did was right but there is so many moments that Mary could just have stopped you know going after or answering to Edith who just wanted to have the last word and that is, I think, when she just says, she who loves last, laughs, laughs longest. That is the moment she said, okay, you want to be, like, you want to be this bull reckless, think that you're better than me. Well, you know, look what you made me do. I don't like your little games. Don't like your tilted stage. The role you made me play. The fool. I don't like you But I got smarter, I got harder In the nick of time Honey, I rose up from the dead I do it all the time I got a list of names and yours is in red Underlined I check it once, then I check it twice oh, oh, look what you made me do Look what you made me do Look what you just made me do Look what you just made me do Look what you made me do Look what you made me do do look what you just made me do my music of the day is look what you made me do by taylor swift i know it's another taylor swift song i'm sorry or not again i'm a swifty so that's and to be honest this is the first thing i thought about it's not taylor's version because it is not out yet maybe when this will be out i will change and put the taylor's version but yeah there is so much bitterness in this song and edith yeah it's really like look what you made me do it's Mary just, she just dug her own grave without realizing it. I think if Mary didn't want to win the challenge with Strata and stuff, maybe Edith would not have gone this far, but we would never know, you know. But I really think it's nice when you see Bananas the following seasons, because, well, this is like their feud, it's way to the whole show. But it's something that Mary will never stop doing. She will always want to have the last word. So yeah, that was it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't hesitate to leave a review, a comment, to subscribe, to talk about the podcast to your friends if you liked it. Um, Don't hesitate to send me DMs on Instagram at shawwee.podcasts if you want. You can talk to me about absolutely anything like Downton Abbey, the whole show, this episode, following episodes, the movie, whatever you want to talk to me about. Yeah, just anything. I would love to chat with you. Um, Yeah. And well, I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode six that I called The One Where They Fall. It's the title, is not as obvious as the others, but I thought it. Suited the episode really well. I will explain it next week. And until then, take care of yourself and don't forget! Vive la défense!